Here we are on the day after Thanksgiving, virtual shed again, because, you know, wave four is still out there, although hopefully it's a receding wave as opposed to an incoming one. But we're back in the shed and we're glad you're here with us for episode 124. Oh, is it four or five? Five, five. God. Five. I'm, I'm losing count so high up there. We got a whole bunch of stuff that we're going to go through today. It's a good day to be inside. We all had a ton of food yesterday, so we're all happy, fat and sassy today. So let's go. Boys, are you ready? Are you ready? Ready. Ready to go. Okay, here we go then. Do you guys want to hear my brilliant money-making ideas just to get things rolling? Do you? For sure. (laughs) I live for these. They're always good. And then that's why we're so rich today. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Well, this one, you know, okay, okay. So I'll concede that sometimes, sometimes my money-making ideas are just tongue-in-cheek and they're not really, I don't really suppose we're going to get rich. For instance, they're both today, I have two of them and they're both automobile related. And one of them is tongue-in-cheek and it's the one that says we should market and sell a switch that can be installed so to allow people to disable their brake lights. And the reason I think this would be a moneymaker is because there's a whole bunch of people and, you know, quite often they're driving certain brands of cars, usually higher end performance type cars, and they seem to have a higher than usual propensity to not signal lane changes and right and left turns. They just, you know, I'm driving this car, so of course everybody knows what I'm going to do and I'm a driver. That's because I'm driving this kind of sporty car. So I think those people must be driven insane by the fact that they can't control the fact that their car signals deceleration. In other words, when they press on the brake against their will, they tell everybody that they're going to slow down. So we should sell a switch to that demographic that disables their brake lights so that they can have full, full control of all the stuff they're not telling people. So that one's a little tongue in cheek. But this other one, this one, this no, is... I think you can't get away without having commentary. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. It's Let's ideas. <laughs> it's ideas like this. This is why we can't have nice things. <laughs> <laughs> we could if only anybody would ever just take us up on it and give us the money. Oh, yeah, we'd have the money. Everybody else would be dying all the time. <laughs> yeah, just the other day, uh, you know, don't you just love it when they do their lane changes? And, you know, you can see it coming and you go, okay, just can tell by the way this person yeah. drives, they won't signal. Yeah. You can just tell. Yeah. So they just do their little lane change. Then they do another lane change. They don't signal. Now they're in the left-hand turn lane, which must turn left. Yeah. And they dutifully turn their signal on because yeah. it, it provides no value. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, it's, and it's honest to God, it really is a thing. And it really is usually performance type cars. I mean, I know that that's a, uh, an unproven generalization and maybe it's just because I am oversensitive to those cars, but very often it's Mercedes and uh, higher end SUVs, Range Rovers, those kinds of things. You know, they, I don't know what it is with people, uh, Tesla's quite often too. They just, I think the sense of privilege that comes with having a really nice car extends all the way into whether you need to communicate with anybody else on the road. But yeah, okay, so, all right, fine. If somebody wants to do that, we'll gladly take the money, but we won't be holding our breaths here at uh, Shed Dog Development Central. 
However, this next one. Now, I'll give you a minute to get a piece of paper and a pencil because you're probably going to want to jot some of this down because this one is a surefire <laughs> success money-making hit. So this idea comes from learning that here in the North Shore, there are e-bikes that some company has put out and you can rent them. And when you're finished using them, you can leave them anywhere in the designated territory, which is basically the North Shore, and the company will come and pick them up. And how do they find them, you may be asking? They find them because they have GPS on them. They are GPS enabled, and the company just looks up where unit number whatever is and goes and picks it up. I also found out when I was reading about those bikes that they have a fabulous feature that... Um, because, they, because their geolocation is always known, if they go to a place where it is known to be constantly congested, the bike will limit the amount of boost that it gives to the rider. For instance, if you ride one of those things, typically on e-bikes, they're limited at about 30 kilometers an hour. That's about how fast they'll limit out at. If you ride one of those rental e-bikes down into the shipyards area of North Vancouver around Lonsdale Quay, it will limit you to 15 kilometers an hour, whether you like it or not, it just limits. And I just thought, oh, and it was I wasn't the only one who thought this either, I have to admit, but I'm the one who's introducing the great wrinkle. You put this in cars. So you guys probably both know that most of the navigation tools like Waze and uh, Google Maps they will often provide you the known speed limit for a given area based on your GPS location. They, they know what the speed limit is. So what we would do as our added value extra thing was we would provide the option to have your vehicle's speed governed by the posted limits. So if you're some old guy like me and you just don't constantly want to have to be worrying about whether you're exceeding the speed limit in a school zone that you missed or whatever it is, you just push a button, a conveniently installed button, and your car will just respond to the known limit that your navigational tool that we could also sell has. I think this would be great. Or you could sell to the manufacturers the ability, the license for the idea to install it in their cars. And then people, because you want it optional, because a lot of people would obviously be driven insane by a thing like that if it wasn't optional. But having the option, man, it's like a multi-speed or an intermittent wiper. The guy that invented the intermittent wiper switch, he made a fortune because he patented it and then sold it to Detroit, right? So this is our chance. We're going to make a fortune, boys. Everybody get that? Excellent, can, Skinny. I'm excited. I'm excited. I, I, I don't even know where to set the bar for our chunk of this because it's going to be so big that a tiny percentage would make us all rich. Oh, I know. Is I can't wait for the cash to come rolling in. Yeah. Yeah. So you, listeners out there, if you need us to repeat this, just send us an email. We'll send you all the details and you can just start promoting it, getting those investors together and we'll negotiate on our cut at that time. Thank you. Well done, Skin. Yeah. Nice I, work. Nice we don't work, even Skin. have to do anything from here on out because we're pretty much rich now, I think. Well, I think even mentioning it, you, you kind of, you kind of puts the copyright on it, right? Just yeah, by absolutely. talking about it. Yeah. Especially recorded and... Public I domain, think, baby. We're set. Of. Yeah, we're announcing the copyright on this. Yeah. It's our idea. Our, our extensive broad shoulder suit legal team is hard at work on the necessary paperwork even as we speak. <laughs> this recording is the property of Shed Dogs, Inc. All reproduction, express or implied. 
Hey, uh, I forgot to put something on the list. Uh, pretty sure I haven't talked about this before, but uh, I'm attempting to uh, represent Canada in the over 63 division of uh, foosball at the uh, World Cup next year and not France. Wow. Yay. Wow. Seriously, there's an actual over 63 as opposed to over 60? Yeah. Well, last, the World <laughs> Cup happens every second year in foosball, not every fourth year. But uh, last time, and up till then, it was over 50. And what's been happening is a lot of us older players have been aging out so that the, you know, the 50-year-olds, they're the spring chickens. And it's hard to compete against them. So they added a new one. And I could only guess that they ran the numbers. Okay, if we made this 65 and up, we wouldn't quite have enough players from a lot of the countries. So let's pull it down to 63 and that'll probably, <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure they went through that process. And uh, uh, that's my guess as to how they call it over 63, but it's really 63 and up. And uh, But why wouldn't they have gone to 60? I don't really get that. That's a good point. Maybe that would start to encroach upon the 50 and up. I have no idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or maybe they've done careful medical studies that determine that your reflexes and tendons and fingers and everything really go to hell after 63. Oh, no, but I ordered myself a foosball table. boy! Because if I want to compete, even in the local tournaments now, if I want to compete, I need to, you know, practice and train and stuff. So, uh, so I'm pretty excited about that. It arrives mid-November. Table's very exciting. I won't help you practice, though, because even your aged, creaky old tendons and fossil hands and everything are way, way too good for me. That's oh, yeah. So I don't know if I'll qualify or not. I mean, the Canadian Federation is called the Table Soccer Association of Canada, and uh, they are holding qualifiers, and qualifiers are hard to hold in a COVID era. Um, but they, they definitely have to for mm. the men's, the women's and the juniors, cause there's enough players, but for seniors, they basically did a call for competitors, like who, who wants to compete. And there was only nine of us. Cool. So you could just mail it in. Who knows? I'll find out. So does that? Yeah. Oh, go ahead. No, no. Well, I was going to ask you whether the international, uh, table soccer scene, is now leaning towards those who enjoy privilege. It's like if you had uh, polo, you know, like who gets to compete in polo tournaments? Uh, only guys that can afford to keep horses. So I'm out. Even if I loved horses and polo, I'm out. I can't afford to ship my pony all the way over to Ontario to compete in some polo. Yeah, tournament. and you look at sports. Sports tend to cost a lot of money to compete in, you know. Uh, like if you want to be a skier, you're going to need a ski ticket. They're going to need, and uh, if you're if yeah. you're into golf, that's a lot of money. Um, if you're into tennis, it's actually not too bad, except for if you want a trainer, then it's re really really expensive. Yeah. Um, yeah. Foosball is kind of cheap; you can just go down to the bar. Um, but if you really want to play well, you want your own table, and these tables are not cheap. They're like a high quality foosball table. You folks at home, you might have one in your basement. If you bought one from Costco. For $400, you probably played it for a month, and now it's just sitting there unused. And the reason it's sitting there unused is when you put that ball on the table and you suddenly realize that it rolls all over the place. You're trying to hit the ball, and it's doing all kinds of weird shit. And uh, these, <laughs> these tournament-quality foosball tables are flat like a pool table. You can pass the ball from one rod to the next with high precision, and then the ball sits there. 
and now you can prepare to execute your shot. It's all very well controlled and it's, it's literally is more like a sport, but it's like 3000 bucks for a brand new table. I'm feeling this shriveling sensation as all our pool table owning and soccer table owning fans hear your remarks and realize, yeah, I bought a cheap pool table from Costco and I bought a cheap foosball table from, oh God, geez, I hate these click. Is there a, is there such, such a thing as a cheap pool table? Really? Sure there are. Yeah, absolutely. They, they don't have slate in them. They have just an MDF board underneath the felt and it probably plywood. Yeah. And it just melts after a while, you know, like it's, it's all the same. Like you, if you a really good pool table has a slate surface, I think, cause it just never distorts. They are slate. Yeah. And so that costs a hell of a lot more than one made out of MDF or plywood. Yeah. Ditto a foosball table. Like, I don't know what they're made out of, but the good ones are made in such a way that they don't distort. It's three quarter inch plywood. And you'd think, well, that would kind of bow. Maybe it would over 20 years, but it, it lasts very, very well. Um, the difference between half inch and three quarter inch is quite marked. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, any kind of MDF surface is going to be brutal. And I think, I think the Costco tables are like that. <laughs> Just, but don't be offended. <laughs> I don't think our listeners will be offended. They know they're not playing that table anymore. It's just the way they are. I'm doing this also as a public service to people who are hearing this and thinking, wait a minute, foosball. I used to be pretty good at foosball. Maybe we should get a table. That would be really cool. And you buy it from Canadian Tire. And next thing you know, there's ball bearings all over the floor and who knows what happens. Like that actually happened to me with a Canadian tire table. I returned it, but uh, I'm, I guess I'm projecting my feelings of defensiveness and inferiority onto our listeners where I just kind of think, yeah, so I got a garage full of stuff I no longer use. What of it? What, do you want to make something of it? Yeah, I just trying to help people out. Attaboy. Anyway, I got the table. Looking forward to it. They're like 350 pounds Oof. for the table. Yeah, it arrives in two different boxes. And uh, the guy that uh, he and a partner owns the distributor rights in Canada for Tornado. And for these German tables that are even higher quality, they own the, all of North America. Wow. So it's very, very cool, actually. Uh, it's good to see. Uh, anyway, he's going to help me out by, we're going to pick it up in New Westminster when it arrives, and uh, he'll help me and transport it over and help me put it together. Cool. So the guy's based around here somewhere, eh? Yeah, yeah. Cam was a guest on the Shed Dogs episode quite a while back. Voices yeah. of Vancouver, I believe. That's it, yeah. Um, I wonder what happens. So let's just say for the sake of argument, you live in Rossland. And you order a pool table, does it just come in two pieces and good luck? Well, a foosball table, they ship it to you. Yeah. You pay an extra $300 for the shipping though. Yeah, but nobody comes to help you assemble it. I mean, when you go to the website for the manufacturer, which is Tornado, they tell you assembles from packaging in 30 minutes. And that's actually true. If you have two guys who have put together 20 or 30 of these and they're just highballing, they just go bang, bang, yeah. bang. It's just bolts, right? Yeah. You just bolt it together, you level it, and you're done. But for me and you, if you were to come over and help me, which I would, you know, I'd enlist your support, no doubt. Um, yeah, it'd be two or three hours for us probably. But yeah, people could put it together. It's, it, it's, it's just like assembling a piece of Ikea furniture, really. Yeah, or a, or a Costco foosball table, probably. Yeah, same thing. Yeah, the Costco ones, they you got to put them together too. 
Well, that's cool. I, I look forward to hearing you report on your success there as you assemble and practice and not beat the hell out of your friends. That's And I'll report back on whether we get to play. And of course, even if we do qualify, there's also the question of uh, vaccination status and where's the pandemic at. Because the tournaments, uh, I think the tournaments end of June and early July in uh, Nantes, Nantes? I don't know how you pronounce it, honestly. Yeah, it's, it's not actually. The English people say not in France. And uh, it starts with the World Championships. That's where individual teams and individuals compete. And then it goes on to the World Cup, which is really cool. There's a team of six. And I won't get into arcane details of how the play goes, but you do rotate between tables. Because Canada's official table will be the Tornado, but France's official table is Bonzini. Italy's official table is probably Roberto Sport. Uh, uh, England's official table, I think, is Tornado. There's, there's about eight approved official tables, and these play radically different from each other. That's pretty interesting. Yeah, so you, so you switch between your home table. It's kind of like if you think about tennis, you got clay courts, you got grass courts, and you got paved courts. Those are the big three, right? Well, you think about any any team sport played in a facility, forever and ever for our lifetimes, home court or home field or home city advantage has always been seen as a real advantage, and the stats reflect it. This is This is just like that. It is just like that, but it's even more so. Yeah. Because the tables are so different. Like two baseball diamonds are different in that the local players know how many feet it is in left field. It turns out that a homer is easier to left field than right because it's it's closer in. Well, and there's wind. many, many different variables. Yeah, wind conditions, all yeah, kinds wind, of stuff. All that kind of stuff. Um, soccer, probably the same thing. Like Hockey used to be that. Ted Lasso. All the stadiums are different, right? They're all the different sizes. But the foosball tables are like miles different. Like the Bonzini, the balls roll all over the place. The men are heavy. They're metal. You cannot back pin and shoot. You have to front pin because the balls are so grippy that the man stubs on the ball. It's even different There's, balls. Wow. Oh yeah. Way different and way different feels and uh, way different mechanics for shooting. Like in baseball, the guy pitches a baseball to you and you hit it with a bat and those bats, they're your own bats the baseball's a standard weight, but in foosball, they're quite different. So that's why they have to have you, it's not just within a tournament, you have to rotate back and forth. So the first four goals are, are on your home table. The next four goals are on their home table. Oh, just, and then back and back and back wow. and back within all in games, one match. Yeah, the first, wow. first to 32 wins. So that means that the players, uh, if they're at that level, are practicing on all these different tables. Exactly. And the best teams in the World Cup have access to tables for practicing. Like Edmonton has a, a local foosball club that has five different tables. And the players all congregate there and they practice on all the different tables. Wow. And uh, yeah, so this is it. So I'm only skilled on one, and a, one, maybe two tables. So then if you manage to triumph here in Canada and be a Canadian representative, do you then have to run out and spend another, you know, 15 grand on five other tables to practice up for the worlds? Well, Cam's brought in Leonhardt's. They're the German tables. And so there's a couple of those in town. 
we have players from the prairies or from actually from Edmonton who have practiced on other tables. So um, there is one guy in town who wants to bring in a Bonzini because they're the worst. They're the most, <laughs> like they're the hardest to get used to. So if we had a Bonzini in town, but absolutely that's what you want. You want enough of those tables around. You head over to somebody else's house, yeah. have practice sessions. and. Uh, but that wouldn't happen in your league if you were a, a 63 plus. Would that same thing happen? Yep. Yep. So we have players oh. from all over the world. There'd be like probably in 63 and over, there might only be 16 countries participating. I'm not sure. But in the in the World Cup for regular men's and women's, there's probably more like 50 countries that participate. Jeez. Um, the It's really big in Europe too. So I've seen the setups. They have the big six tables that important matches are being played on there's a grandstand that looks down on those six tables so you can see the people down there playing you can't really see what's happening much on the table because it's so far away but of course there's great big monitors so you not only can you look down at the real people at the table and whatever kind of drama is going on because there's frequently interesting things happening but you can also watch the actual play on the monitors up on the big screen. On the Jumbotron. Yeah, so they'll have, on the big matches, they'll have a couple hundred people watching. <laughs> so, you know, that's not very much compared to, say, uh, tennis finals at, at uh, the U.S. Open, but it's still pretty cool. Like, if you're playing in one of those games, it's pretty cool to have so many people focused on what you're doing. Well, unless unless you've only ever played in your basement, then it might be kind of off-putting. Um I want it since we're this far in. What about the six? What are the rules with that? Do the all six players have to play? Like I presume two are just subs, in case you know somebody blows a tendon playing on the Bonzini machine because it has heavy metal men. So there's a there's a <laughs> team captain, and uh, the day before the match, the team captain selects which of the six are playing in which of the matches. Now, these matches vary. You know, there's the first doubles match. Oh. There's a seconds doubles match. There's the third doubles match. Then they maybe have three singles matches and then back into doubles. And they can mix and match players because you would get fatigued if you were playing and every single, these matches can go on for 45 minutes. Well, first to 32 and, is a lot of goals. Yeah, you need to mix and match. And then... It, like in soccer, you're allowed to sub. So you got the six players. They're mixing and matching already. And then halfway through the match, it's at a predetermined point, halfway through, the captain can say, uh, Tench, you're off, and can wave on another player, up to two up to two other players. <laughs> and that's just basically because some on some days, some people suck, right, to put it bluntly. And so they realize that, you know, this is not working out. I'm going to pull these two players off and bring these other two players on. So well, it's kind also, of interesting. It also allows players to specialize in tables, right? So, you know, you bring in your Bonzini expert for the games against the French guys. And you bring in your Leonhardt guy for, you know, if anybody's had any, it means of the six players, you can have a disparate set of experience on tables and use that to advantage depending on your opponent. You know what I mean? Like... Yep, a lot of that goes on. Wow. They, they're thinking ahead as to what, who they're playing, what their home table is, yeah. which players do we want to have involved, and when we switch back, are we going to switch players, yeah. all that kind of stuff, yeah. Don't wear out your Leonhardt guy on the Bonzini table because you're going to need him fresh tomorrow for the Germans. You know, like, geez, <laughs> that's pretty wild, actually. I kind of hope you get to go because we'll get to hear a bunch of crazy stuff about 
talk about your subcultures. That's that's about as sub as it gets, I think. Yeah, and and uh, we would combine it with a, a major vacation. And I was chatting with Cam. He said, "Oh yeah, everybody does. I mean, you don't pay to go all the way over there and then just come right back home. Well, so. unless you want to win, Rich." Like we if you want to win, you just go there to play. You got to keep your focus. You can't be touring around seeing the Eiffel Tower one day and eating cheese in San Tropez the next day. You're there to win. So what you do is when the tournament's over, then you do your vacation. <laughs> that was way too easy. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so we'd start in not, we've never been to France. So that would be, we were thinking, yeah, we would just do France because we don't like the broad kind of. Uh, shallow vacation. So we would probably just choose another two or three cities in France and maybe the countryside as well. So, yeah. Go see Dominique and Lyon. Hey, I'm going to New York. Are you really? Are you going to do some work there? I've been invited. Schmigadoon invited me. Wow. Oh, for season two? No, no, God, no. No, there's no season two. Well, we don't know why why it's happening. Like, why do you have a Schmigadoon event? After it's all said and done, it's not opening night or it's not first, but it's a SAG nomination committee. What is that? It, would it be for the SAG awards? Yeah, clearly. But yes. then why would you be, is it just you or is it the whole cast or what the hell? The event is um, screening at seven o'clock for a half an hour. So that's either one episode or they put together a half-hour presentation of the show, and then a 35 to 40-minute Q&A. 200-plus voters, all vaccinated and masked. In New York City! Oh, isn't that interesting? It does sound like the way that it works is it gives the nominators a chance to understand a little bit more about the production, right? For the SAG Awards. I guess yeah. somebody suggested that they might be announcing a Broadway run, like turning it into a Broadway musical. Oh, that would be amazing. I could see that happening. Wouldn't that be amazing? Yeah. Do you know, is it the whole entire a cast of Schmigadoon? What? Well, yeah, all the, I, I, I might be the only guy from Vancouver. I mean. Uh, it must be because you were a guest star. Yeah. I'm just wondering if some of the singers or dancers might be invited, but because I know some of them are from Vancouver, but, um, oh man, that is, that is awesome. Yeah, well, it's exciting. sort of weird too, because I'm not, I'm not SAG, right? I mean, it's, a, I'm a sister union to SAG, but. It's ACTRA for you, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. UBCP ACTRA. I, don't, yeah. I doubt that SAG looks at which unions involved in a production. It sounds to me like part of the process of nominating and or voting is to have a cast interview. That's the way it sounds like to me. Yeah. Oh, so I better be ready then. You better you better have the right answers. So you gotta you gotta put on your abstract art hat for this, KJ. So the deal with abstract art is the pitch. Why did you do it that way? Well, I was thinking about uh, inclusivity when I <laughs> yeah. So you got to do that. Turn the BS index up to about twelve. For every gesture right. and eye movement that you make. Have your answers ready before they yeah. even ask the question. Just make up some cry. I was thinking about whales and their pending extermination. You know, that, well, that's why I raised nice. my eyebrows that way. Can you imagine? Nice. Can you imagine if they went on Broadway and they got you a green card? 
Oh, that's even more exciting news, Rich. Thanks for that. Oh my God, just look ahead to it. That's huge. I'd, I'd be coming down there to watch you as well. Um, we haven't <clears throat> got the details yet, but we're hoping they're going to offer me. I'm actually waiting right now for either a phone call or an email. Wait, you're on Do Not Disturb right now, though, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> um, here till Thursday. Because if I if they offer me a business ticket, I will uh, cash it in for two economies and take Lucy. Oh, cool! That would be just awesome. The whole thing would be awesome. That's what she thinks. Just no matter how you slice it, the whole thing would be awesome. That's that's yeah. that's pretty cool. That's very exciting, actually. Also, New York City. Sue and I have been there three times now, twice in the 80s and once about five years ago. Continues to be our just our favorite, favorite place to go for a vacation. Just phenomenal. Yeah, like, I wonder what it's going to be like in COVID times, but... Geez, you see those American football games and you think there doesn't seem to be too much COVID in the United States, does there? I think New York's probably, New York's in better shape than BC right now, so. Than BC, really? Yeah, I think per capita, per 100,000, I think New York's probably doing better, Uh but I I would have to check on that to be sure. But I I know that they managed to avoid a fourth wave pretty well. Right, right. Because isn't BC's above 80 all in, I think, right? I not sure of the exact numbers, but I do feel like we're coming past the peak of the fourth wave now. Yeah. So. Yeah, and and talk about Lucy. She just finished her first short. I want to hear about this. I saw it on the list, and I, I haven't heard about it, I don't think. Well, she started writing it probably two years ago. So it's a story about a family with a Down syndrome kid that's her younger brother. So she's the older sister. Um, mom's involved. I was initially asked to be dad, but I think they cut dad out of the script. And it's because of her relationship with Niall, right? Who did King Arthur and and knows Lucy from the farm and everything, right? And so she's been collaborating with Niall on all sorts of things. They actually, last weekend, they were taken to Harrison Hot Springs for one night because Lucy's UBCP, it's for filming King Arthur, so they brought the whole gang out there to the tune of, they thought, about $50,000 to do this little promo. So this producer, a well-known Canadian director, um, can ask for money. And I didn't realize that Niall's vision of King Arthur, he saw Camelot at Harrison Hot Springs. And it's actually in one of the songs. So they chose Harrison wow. Hot so all of the cast is out on the pool deck for this shoot, and they're all in Harrison Hot Spring robes <laughs> with their various crowns and goat horns and whatever <laughs> props they had in the show. And I don't know if they do it, if they sing something or if they, I, I don't know what the whole thing is, but so that's going on too, right? So anyway, back to um, Lucy's movie. Niall wasn't really available to do it. So she cast, and there are some Down syndrome kids in town who have agents, like film agents, and they do auditions because they're a little bit in demand here here and there, right? So she got this guy, and of course, he's playing her brother, and he also has a girlfriend with Down syndrome, and so they have stuff. So Susan and Kristen and... Alan Morgan 
catered and did craft service, which is a job way too big. Their first day, they only had three days of shooting. The first day, they had 60 because they had a Down Syndrome baseball team. <laughs> they, they did it on a Sunday because they couldn't get a city permit because of COVID. So they had to go guerrilla style. So they went out to this park on near 4th and Alma. And I, I, I don't know how many kids are on the team, nine, or maybe it's a little bit bigger than that. But of course, all their parents or caregivers, and they were worried about the city. And sure enough, it's Sunday. They just get there. They just start. This city truck pulls up and two guys get out. And this one guy comes up to Lucy and she says, he says, you are so blessed. Because I think they spread a rumor that they were doing a documentary of the Down Syndrome team. And this guy just thought it was the greatest thing in the world. Oh, <laughs> and, I'm and uncomfortable even hearing this. I just, unappar- oh. unappar- I, but I, I don't know that the, yeah. he must have heard that. And a, apparently they came by at the end of their day to thank them again. The city guys came by and thanked them. Wow. So wow. anyway, and I, so I, shot, I got a cameo in it. And I think I shot, yeah, I shot later that afternoon. So the next day, halfway through the day, the focus puller, who works on uh, some big TV show as well, where they get tested for COVID, gets the results at work with Lucy that he's positive. So luckily, he only worked closely with two people and they both were double vaccinated however camera people yeah you can't just get a focus puller like you can't just phone the focus puller hotline and one shows up right yeah so they lost that day they shot the next day but that was sort of that was probably their rental time and everything so they had to make up another day uh, which they did, and uh, I guess everything's just fabulous. Everybody's very happy with how the whole schminkaroo went, so that's pretty cool. Wow. That's a lot of stress, eh? Wow. Quick little side trip here. Uh, Larry of Peace River, uh, brother to Glenn of Victoria, he knows a couple uh, people with Down syndrome that that are a couple, man and woman. They're I think they're married, pretty sure. And... Uh, among other things, they're big fans of the Dukes of Hazard, <laughs> And uh, I helped Glenn with doing some Photoshopping to Photoshop this couple's faces into the General Lee, the car that the Dukes of Hazard drive. <laughs> and apparently it was just huge. They, they, they just loved it. They were just pleased. There's a poster up on the wall now that they have of them in the Dukes of Hazard. I thought that was pretty cool. That's fun. Hey, um, Schmigadoon, before we leave that topic or back on that topic. Uh, you quickly dismissed the idea of a season two without getting into spoilers. Season one ends in a way that certainly offers a season two. Is there something that as an insider, you know, did they just destroy all the sets or is there some reason you would say that there won't be a season two? Well, well, what, what happens at the end? Don't they, they get across the bridge, don't they? We can uh, we can uh, remove this part just for our listeners because I don't think we have to spoil everything. Just just the white lotus. <laughs> well, I don't know. I don't know, Richie. I have no idea. Okay. You can't. You know, when you've been through the mill as many times as KJ, you, you learn to stop worrying about 
forces beyond your control. It either either the truckload of money arrives or it arrives next month. It, it doesn't. That's right. And when they ask you to go to New York, you say, yes, okay. <laughs> With bells on. <laughs> yes, okay. Actually, Su- uh, we had Thanksgiving the other night, and Susan, I told her that I got the offer on it. The next day, I said, you know, I'm not really sure about going. You know, I'm sort of, you know, and air twice and the airplane, COVID, see what am why am I, you know. And she informed me that I indeed was going. Good for her. Yep. And also said if we were still together, she'd be getting the second ticket. <laughs> <laughs> Every moment in New York City is amazing. You you just kind of go, this is larger than life. I can't believe it. I mean, one of the trips, the second trip in the 80s, uh, another, this was for a DBA conference, a technical conference. And uh, one of the guys, a wolf of North Vancouver was there. And PJ, you know him. I do. And uh, we're sitting around in the hotel room that first night chatting, I guess. And he said, everyone keeps saying New York's so amazing. And I just, I, you know, what? Like, it's a city, right? It's a big city. Sure. I, there's big buildings. There's this, there's that. We're going, no, no, no. Every time you're in the streets, you can't believe what's happening. He goes, the next morning we head out, we're crossing the street from the hotel to the conference. We're at the don't walk sign. A guy comes running up, gets right in Wolf's face and says, you killed my brother. You killed my brother. It's just like, hey man, what did we tell you, Wolf? Just like every moment there's some wild thing. You know, when I, when I was there in the eighties, uh, went to a comedy show where a kind of comedian was just insulting these, this family that brought some kids along. Like it was crazy. It was high drama and waiting in the lineup to get into that thing. We watched a purse snatcher running from cops. Like every moment, I mean, that was the eighties. It's calmed down a bit since then, but every moment is some level of excitement with whatever you're going to do, no matter what you're doing. Yeah, we'll stay. We'll stay a couple extra days. I'm not sure how long, but come on, come on, get we'll yourself see how much that costs. Yeah, I mean the Airbnb was when we were there five years ago was reasonable, but I think New York City has been clamping down on a lot of the Airbnbs. But uh, well, we'll see if the hotel where we'll stay at the first two nights, if I can get a deal there. Yeah. But I, I, I got to get confirmation yet. What are they, why are they making me wait like this? Oh, hey. Well, you know, this is so much fun. You guys want to do listener mail? Yeah, baby. Yeah. We're lagging quite a bit on our listener mail once again. So uh, this is a comment on an episode that probably came out like six weeks ago. This is from Nancy of New Westminster. And she's commenting on episode 119, Taste Testing at the Chateau Marmite. Ah, She says, hey, dogs, just have to weigh in on the MSG issue. MSG is a huge food enhancer in Japan and is something I used a lot in cooking many years ago. However, I have developed quite a severe allergy to it. My throat swells up and I have trouble swallowing when I eat MSG-laced food. So it may be okay by some standards now, but I can tell when restaurants use it. Generally means no return to that establishment for me. There can be many different allergies, uh, seafood, 
walnuts, and in this case, MSG. She goes, uh, I tried Vegemite once. Yuck. <laughs> Hard to describe other than I couldn't get it off my tongue fast enough. <laughs> and oh my God, the dialogue around your tasting just begs for a very different story. Uh, these are some quotes that she heard there. My fingers did not touch. I'll remain stretched out. It's really hard. I'll hold this while you do it. If I had my fingers right, I'll do me. Come on, baby. <laughs> I didn't get a chance to stick the thing back in there. These are all things that she literally heard us saying. Uh, she says a whole different story without the word Marmite in there. LOL. Well, I think that's that's, fun. that's some insight into Nancy's interior landscape that maybe, you know, we should reflect on that a bit. And if I recall correctly, Nancy wasn't the only of our listeners who had that same thing about that conversation. Is that right? It was a, that's what she said. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, I think that there was an email from Lee of Courtney that had the same kind of take. Like that she was just killing herself over those remarks and that they could have been taken completely out of the Marmite context if, if the listener was inclined. All right. And she uh, closes with, I'm not afraid to try different things and have had the opportunity to try many organ meats because we discussed uh, the disgusting nature mm -hmm. of organ meats. She's tried lung, spleen, intestines, heart, liver, tongue. Haven't tried brains or sweetbreads yet, but would. Aren't brains and sweetbreads the same thing? I can't remember. I think so, but I'm not really 100% sure. She says, I love calf's liver with onions and bacon and fried chicken livers, Greek style. <laughs> oh, my God. All right, Nancy, you do you. <laughs> Great show, guys, she says. All right. And this one's from Lee. On episode 120, Nancy of New West Part 1, first of all, dogs, Nancy of New Westminster was a great guest. She had it all. Pleasing voice, good delivery, interesting tales. Sounds like the perfect combination for a host of a podcast to me. So Nancy's talking about starting up a podcast, and we agree. She should. Lee goes on to say, but I'm so ashamed that in all the years I worked with Nancy, I always pronounced her last name as Kato. And I learned on this show that it's actually Kato. Ak. And she was too nice to correct it. Rest assured, Nancy, the pronunciation is forever corrected in my brain. She had such good stories. Family history rich with drama, like a ship-jumping great-grandfather. World War II internment camps. Ghosts. Great vignettes from weddings at which she's officiated. That it sets the bar high for any future guest appearances. All I've got are episodes from my recent trip back to Saskatchewan that could all be called ordering white wine in small prairie town hotel bars. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm sure we would be pleased to hear uh, about yes. the various different sweetnesses uh, and drynesses of the white wine that you've ordered. And Have no fear. Uh, there's few things that I can think of that I'm more interested in than the limited selection of wines available in rural Saskatchewan. And I'm pretty sure our whole listener group is on the same page. So yeah, no worries there. All right. And we had Leslie, formerly from Rosslyn, I think. 
wrote us the subject was at the arena. So it was a, our episode quite a ways back. I'm not sure the episode number, but she says, I have many happy memories of high school curling at Crow High. Also watching hockey games in Rosslyn with my cousins. Thanks for the kind words about Mike, my dad. Roscoe? Yeah, it was Mike Roscoe. This is Mike Roscoe's daughter, I'm pretty sure. Leslie, we're so pleased to hear that you enjoyed it. Mike Roscoe was a favorite high school teacher for all three of us and many others. So, yeah, I still, to this day, I just told someone, my brother, Mike, I can't remember what the topic was. My brother, Mike, different Mike. I said to him, oh, as Mike Roscoe used to say, patience is a virtue. Cultivate it in your garden. Yeah, which did. I, yeah, that's that still gets said. Still comes up. And that's the thing. And you think of him, and it's actually a good saying, you know, and it's a very simple saying, but it's cool. Yeah, that was a good one. I like that. And uh, our last uh, letter coming in here is on episode 121, Model Citizen Dogs. Again, from Lee of Courtney. Hi, dogs. Good wide-ranging episode as always. A couple of things. You'd talked about Columbus attempting to eradicate the Hispaniola people, but couldn't remember the name of the other country besides Haiti that comprises the Hispaniola. It's the Dominican Republic. They share the same chunk of land with a border dividing the two, one largely French background from colonization, and the other larger Spanish-speaking from other colonization, both very poor countries, but one with great beaches, so it gets the resorts and tourists. Guess which one that is? Dominican Republic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she says, also, really enjoyed the politics discussion. Of course, now the election is over, and we all know how it went. Thankfully, the horrible PPC and equally horrible leader Maxime Bernier didn't get one seat. But sadly, they did increase their percentage of the popular vote, which is concerning. An even further shift to the extreme right is something we definitely don't need. And I'm not just saying this as the granddaughter of the guy who was MLA and longtime speaker of the legislature in Tommy Douglas's government in Saskatchewan. Signed Lee. That's pretty cool. Hmm. So you have a grandfather, I'm assuming grandfather who was the speaker for Tommy Douglas. That's very cool. That is pretty cool. I mean, so she comes by whatever political opinion she might express pretty honestly, I'd say. You grow up in a household like that, you're probably going to hear a lot of politics. Mm-hmm. I did yeah. see that that um, a graph on what would be a political representation where it changed to, there's different options, right? But just straight uh, popular vote the PPC would have got, I believe, three seats, I think, if if not more, like That's solid seats. And the Conservatives would have a tiny majority. Yeah. And you can see why Trudeau doesn't want to start down that path too quickly. But then the smaller parties have much more power for the coalitions to kick into effect. Yeah, I don't think it's something to be afraid of. Things have a way of realigning themselves I think the good news is that Canadian voters in general um, skew left of American voters. So center for us is, of course, we're going to have socialized medicine, right? <laughs> like, like actually moderate right wing is, of course, we're going to have socialized medicine. That makes sense. It's a human right. It's like water, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're right. And highways. Yeah. 
Cool beans. So what else we got, guys? Well, I have one. While I was a working man back there in the dim past a month ago, at the end of my working assignment with Elections Canada, we had a little farewell party and I was chatting with somebody. And honestly, I'm embarrassed to say, I'm not sure if I remember her name as being Karen correctly. I liked her anyways, but we were chatting and I don't know how we got to this, but she was showing me pictures of her family, her and her husband and their daughter went camping up in Lillooet someplace and her daughter found a rubber boa. And so she said this rubber boa to me and I thought, what is that? Like a fake snake? Is it a fake set of feathers? What is it? I don't know what. And a rubber boa is actually a constrictor. It's called rubber because it looks like it's made of rubber. In fact, what it looks like more than anything is a gigantic earthworm. It has that same sort of brownie gray color and it looks like skin. It has the smallest scales of any snake in North America, I believe. And it's about, I think it gets up to about two feet long. And it uh, spends most of its time in the underground burrows of small mammals, killing and eating the offspring of those small mammals by constriction. They kill them by constricting. And I just couldn't believe this thing. I looked it up later and it's native to Canada and a bunch of places, including Lillooet. And then I remembered at some point a long time ago, Cromer of Duncan, if you're listening to this, you will surely let us know. But I'm pretty sure I remember him talking about being on a camping trip somewhere and talking excitedly about these gigantic earthworms. And I remember, I think I remember him saying he wasn't sure they were even earthworms, but that's what they looked like. It's just really huge. You wouldn't believe how big these worms were. And I'm pretty sure they must have been these rubber boas. So put a link in to the website that shows these things. But the main thing was I had no idea at all that there was any form of constrictor in Canada at all. And yet there they are. Yeah, I believe you're referring to the Charina Bati. <laughs> no doubt. Yeah, I'll, I'll put a link. I've just Googled it just now, as uh, you can tell. Yeah, no, it's the coolest That's, thing, though. Just That wow. is very interesting, yeah. I'm looking at it, and it looks like a giant earthworm. And this lovely woman, she knew what it was, and she knew when the kid found it what it was, and I guess she's really into uh, reptiles. Hopefully she's a listener, and she can write in and tell us more, but... Uh, there's that. I thought it was interesting. I wanted to make a quick pitch here, guys. Okay. From time to time, I talk about our uh, attempts to purchase an EV. Yeah. And uh, that I already have a hybrid and that we bought a plug-in hybrid. And and as the listeners might tell, I take a little bit of pride in at least trying to do a little bit of my part for the environment, I suppose. Um, but I just wanted to talk a bit about that. Uh, if you purchase an electric vehicle, which are fairly expensive, they cost around after rebate around 40,000 and up in Canada, because that little Chinese one hasn't made its way over here yet. (laughs) If you take into account everything to do with manufacturing those cars, the battery cost to make the battery, the fact that they have lighter materials and those take more carbon to make, you're still saving on carbon. So you'd doing a good thing for the environment and the estimate it varies but probably if you live in a area that has to burn carbon to make electricity you're still saving you might be saving around six tons of carbon per year 
and six tons is a lot. And so you're, you're preventing six tons from going to, into the atmosphere every year on average. That said, I think I had heard somewhere, maybe on Twitter, that there's some pretty good work being done on reducing carbon in the atmosphere through charities. And so I did a little Google search. I hit a page on Vox.com and they rated six different charities that have a big impact on carbon. And so we chose the top one, read a little bit about it and contributed a hundred dollars because Founders Pledge, which is an organization that evaluates charities, claims that for every hundred dollars you donate to the Coalition for Rainforest Nations, you avert around 860 metric tons of carbon in the atmosphere. Say that again, for every hundred dollars you avert 860 tons of carbon? The, the net impact of that, yeah. Wow. So you can pay 40,000 for your electric car, and then over the 20 years that you might own that car at a stretch, you're going to save about 120 tons. Or you can give $100 to the Coalition for Rainforest Nations and save 860 tons. I can see where your priorities lie. <laughs> well, we got, <laughs> we're kind of pleased that we have an electric car. and There's a lot to save here. I'm really glad we have one, a plug-in hybrid. But yeah, so listeners, if you're interested, I will provide the links uh, not only to the Vox article, which lists six different charities and kind of rates them, but this Coalition for Rainforest Nations, here's how it works. In 2005, the Prime Minister of Papua New Guinea gave a now famous speech, at least in the environmental communities, about what deforestation was doing to the planet and why the, the countries uh, are generally impoverished and can't afford just to stop tearing down forest. Um, they have people to feed and everything. And out of that came a coalition, a literal coalition of, I think, 40 or 60 rainforest countries. They're not like Canada has rainforest, but these are typically the tropical rainforest countries. And they're all linked together. And this charity basically funds people to do other things than rip the forest down. Mm. So when you give money, you're basically helping farmers do a more sustainable practice and, you know, it can be as simple as doing uh, coffee farming that doesn't harm the environment as much um, or literally just paying the governments of countries. Here you go. We're dumping some money. Can you please regulate so that the rainforest stops getting torn down? Because listeners, you're probably aware, but you know, these trees are basically factories that remove carbon from the air. Each tree removes a whole bunch of carbon from the air and replaces it with oxygen. So it's a nice little factory to keep running and these donations have a huge effect. So you could feel really good about yourself for a pretty small price. If you want to remove way more carbon from the air than that guy that owns the Tesla next door or girl. <laughs> Just give a hundred bucks and you're, you're, you've probably done as well as, you know, three Teslas for the lifetime of those cars and, uh, feel good about that. Yeah. It's excellent, RJ. I mean, I think there's probably many of our listeners who like me run around with enormous guilt loads based on, you know, just whatever <laughs> and, uh, buying a great big giant pant load of virtue for a hundred bucks. That's pretty good. Really. You can brag to everybody about, 
You know, I saved 860 tons of carbon emissions. What do you do? Yeah, top that. Yeah, and this is like personal foreign aid, you know, because foreign aid's been documented to have a way better impact than a lot of charities do. Yeah. So this is this is your way of contributing and helping people that are in rough shape be in better shape and help the environment at the same time. That's a pretty good one, RJ. That's right out of left field. I just didn't see that coming from you. Little uplifting moment for the dogs here. Check mark. To offset that, because, you know, <laughs> now that we're feeling all warm and good about ourselves, I actually just today posted something on our list because I saw an item from the local newspaper in Golden, B.C., from October 8th of this year, 2021, where somebody just barely avoided being struck by a meteor. They were lying in their bed sleeping. There was a tremendous bang, and they woke up, and there was a chunk of rock that looked like it had just been neatly laid on the pillow beside the pillow that this person's head was resting on. And in fact, it was a chunk of meteor that had shot right through the roof of her house and spent itself arriving on the pillow. And I mention this because the odds of being struck by a meteor are one of my favorite attempts at being amusing when I talk about the odds of uh, terrible events. You know, like you're worried about getting uh, some side effect from vaccination and you know that the percentage of that side effect is some tiny little number. If you're going to worry about that tiny little number, you may as well worry about the odds of being struck by a meteor. So I still don't know what the odds are. I looked it up a couple times in the past, but I've forgotten what the estimates were. But there was an article just proving that it could actually happen. Local article, too. I didn't realize she was actually sleeping in the bed at the time. Yeah, and just, yeah. It's got to be a little bit scary. She said she was terrified. <laughs> but I've, in the picture, it just looked like a piece of rock. Like, in my mind, when a meteor strikes, it's spherical because it's melted on its entry through the atmosphere. But I guess this one exploded as a result of its entry into the atmosphere so it sent projectiles all over the place and they were sharp edged. Right? Yeah. Cause I was kind of wondering, uh, wouldn't it be red hot? And if it exploded just shortly before it hit ground, it, she could have gotten a, a chunk from the inside. Yeah. Uh, which is still not heated up yet. So that's, that's, or it would just cool in a, like a five minute fall through a cold atmosphere would probably do it. Right. Cause how long does it take to fall from 60 or 70,000 feet or, like a long time. That was cool though, anyways. I just, turns out it actually can happen. Yeah, people sometimes spend an inordinate amount of time, effort, and money preventing something that just isn't going to happen. And so, like you say, that's a really good example to give. So, you know, if you're going to, for example, not get vaccinated <laughs> because there's a one in a million chance that something will happen. Um, why are you not reinforcing your roof? Yeah. Because you, you need to prevent these uh, meteors from coming in in the middle of the yeah. night onto your pillow. And, and by the way, thank goodness that that person's spouse had uh, kind of gotten out of bed already. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't know what. Yeah, there's a whole raft of risks that we take every day that far exceed the odds of being struck by a meteor and frankly also far exceed the odds of having a bad side effect from vaccination but everybody just takes those as a given you know you mow your lawn the odds of getting hurt mowing your lawn are actually much higher than you would expect driving a car crossing the street having a shower anyway 
I just I thought it was fun to see an actual example of a meteor striking something or somebody somewhere. Nice, nice. Hey, I just got something for RJ here. Okay. But I gotta go get it. I thought we might actually have a in shed meeting. Oh, a live. Yeah, so I could present RJ with this little thing. Hang on. Here I come, here I come. Okay, RJ helped uh, my friend Jan with some computer business, I hear. Is that an affirmative, RJ? Just a little bit. Yeah, so she dropped this off. Whoa. Ooh. Holy smokes, man. That's a pretty darn good hourly rate. <laughs> That's a, a bottle of silver Patron uh, tequila, which I love. Did you tell her I love tequila? I did. And she, she said, I, I said, I'm not, I'm not sure w- what kind of beer he would prefer, but I think he might appreciate a small bottle of prime tequila. And she replied back, ooh, sassy. <laughs> well, please uh, tell her thanks uh, when you see her next. That's fantastic. That's so it's waiting for you. We will be very pleased. We have some cheap tequila right now. But the good stuff is the good stuff, so yeah. Oh, good. She'll be pleased to hear that. That's all we got for today. That was a lot of fun. Wave 4 still is out there, so watch yourselves. And make sure you come back and hear us all again sometime soon. How did that go in the Beverly Hillbillies? Y'all come back now. Y'all come back now, you know? Yeah, there you go. Satisfied. Take shoes off. Yeah. Okay. That's it.